What's up, everyone? This is Tim Einenkel with The Library. We continue our interview with Kumodi. I never like to make the first move. I'm a rapper, but I don't rap. Because when it comes to the ladies... What was the, was the transition going from so, uh, group to solo? Was that a tough transition, or was it kind of natural for you? Or uh, It was natural uh, in the sense that I was always extremely confident uh, with my craft, so to speak. But the main thing that was missed is being on stage by myself without the guys to go back and forth off of. Mm. That was an adjustment that had to be made, you know, just in terms of the live performance. But in terms of doing records, it was almost like freeing because it's like, wow, I get to rhyme longer because the way the group dynamic did, you didn't really get a chance to go as far as you could go as a solo, uh, just in terms of how much you wanted to say or whatever you wanted to say with the rhymes and things of that nature. What's the difference between bouncing, I guess, bouncing off ideas of, uh, from fellow group members to bouncing off ideas from a producer? Uh, or the main difference? The main difference is, well, stages. At one stage, the producer's just listening. Once mm-hmm. the producer's got momentum, like in the 90s, it got to a space where the producer almost became dominant because he's now feeding the guy the the... the He's feeding into the music, and he's also sometimes feeding ideas, which I didn't really have to go through because most of my success was uh, 80s. And by the time it got to the 90s and I started seeing what was happening, um, you know, the, the thing that happened, and again, the timing of it is by the 90s, you have legitimately uh, a legitimate argument to say that there's a good chance that this could be on the radio because they're not as backlash, no playing radio, no radio play stuff as they were in the 80s. And... Because of that, you now have to be focused on making something that, you know, radio will play. Because that was the thing. Even I just had this conversation with uh, my old manager just a couple of weeks ago. I was like, hey, you're going to give me something for the radio. And I had to catch myself because it was almost quickly enraging and frustrating. It's like, wow, first thing out of the gate. And, you know, I'm just recording. I'm back in the studio. I'm putting this album together. And we're already starting to give me something to take the radio combo. Do you, do you think you're going to have to... Uh, just knowing the way the industry works now, do you think you're going to have to uh, kind of compromise like you did for your first album? Um, for me, it wouldn't be compromise. It would be more about balance because the thing that, and this is the, the most frustrating thing about all of this when you look from the historical arc, is the guys that did the best, and I'm talking Jay-Z, the Kanye West of the world for this era, uh, Little Wayne, and you keep going back throughout history and seeing the guys that did the best. If you go Puffy with Biggie, they absolutely did what they wanted to do and went against the grain of whatever the quote-unquote radio par for the course thing was, radio standard was at the time. And because of their artistry and then the understanding of the payola aspect at that time, um, they basically did what they wanted and made the industry come around to them. Mm. Uh, you know, and that's the that's something to be said if you if there's nothing else to be said about gangster it's like you they did what they did of course you know good and well they weren't going for radio and then because of them doing what they did and the fanfare that they created they brought radio around and made the industry come around to them and then they became the standard which in many ways you could say might have lowered the standard in terms of what the radio would play but it still worked in the sense that it it gave a voice to a lot of uh, hip-hop artists that would have seen the light of day in the eighties. You're, you're the the single I go to you know the second single I go to work um, off your album Knowledge Is King is kind of reviewed as like one of the most you know pinnacle points of your career. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and that's what the critics say. So I actually want to give you the opportunity. What do you think is your one, your best album, and two, what is your best song? Easily, best album is Knowledge is King. I still think uh, Pound for Pound, the best song is Wild Wild West because it crossed so many uh, barriers. It had a sprinkle of social content in there, social commentary and social content, uh, just in terms of, you know, fighting with our hands and putting the guns down. It had melody, it had a hook, it had pop appeal, it had radio appeal, it had club appeal, and in many places it had street appeal. Not everywhere, but it had a lot of street appeal in many places. So that was the quote-unquote sweet spot record. Uh, but the album, Pound for Pound, is definitely Knowledge is King because it was the first time I felt extremely comfortable because I had just had platinum success with the Knowledge is King and How You Like Me Now album, I should say. I mean, with the Wild Wild West on the How You Like Me Now album and How You Like Me Now basically setting that, that bar kind of high. Uh, it just gave me the ability, which is the unfortunate frustration in the industry is, until you have success, you almost have no freedom. And then when you have success, then you're almost locked into the success you had because now they're looking for something similar to what you had before. So it becomes this weird kind of back-and-forth grind and struggle. But Knowledge is King is the very first time that I felt comfortable enough and confident enough to do what I wanted to do without worrying about whether radio was going to play it or not. And I want to go to my, one of my personal favorite uh, just verses of all time. Uh, was on the 1987 As someone who remembers that song from like fourth grade on, um, what was the, what was the inspiration behind the verse, and was it tough to write? Not even close. It was a, uh, it was a. Uh, I, I want to say like simple in terms of no thought, but because of the time, uh, and that's what I meant by vibration and consciousness. When it's at that frequency, it's I'm most comfortable. So any kind of stop the violence, uh, KRS was very very big in doing the stop the violence and heal and human education against lies. You know those kinds of movements. I love that kind of stuff. Like, that's really, really, you know, again, if I come from Malcolm and Muhammad Ali and, and Bruce Lee, uh, and, you know, of course, Bruce Lee, if anybody knows, you know, studied Gandhi, and I'm named after Mahatma Gandhi, uh, just that whole energy for me is always the most comfortable space to write in. It's just that you don't get to write comfortably in that space because you're getting told, from everybody in your circle and everybody near the, the building, oh, this is preachy, or nobody wants to hear that. Like, they always take the position that this stuff isn't going to be wanted or isn't going to be welcome. So the fact that it was going to be like a hip-hop version of We Are the World, I was extremely titillated, and I basically didn't have a problem writing because it's the zone that I actually live in, the zone that I want to be in. It's a stretch when I have to go into the other space, but it's no stretch at all when you're in the consciousness, in the conscious space. Could there be a, you think there's room or do you think we need a, a, I guess, like a self-destruction too? Uh, I would love that. We tried to do that when Tupac and Biggie died. Uh, Tried to do a self-destruction too. But again, the nature of the business at that time was they wanted Puffy to produce and how much was it going to cost and they only wanted a certain kind of star or celebrity on on the record. 
They didn't care what anybody really had to say. They just wanted the names and the faces. And then it's like, well, the hypocrisy of you can't use this person if their whole arsenal or their repertoire is talking about killing, then how can you not have them on the record talking about not killing? So they ran into a wall at that time because they wanted a lot of the quote-unquote gangster artists on the record, but it was like, but what are they going to actually say? And if they're going to say something that goes against that, it doesn't really make sense, and you know now they lose credibility as being the quote-unquote gangster that they've been promoting all this time. So it wound up crashing because they didn't have the stick-to-itiveness or the integrity to just use the older artists and have it like a cry, you know. And it wasn't; it didn't have to only be older artists. You could have older artists mixed with some of the R&B acts and singing or whatever for a singing hook. You could have done tons of creative things to make that project go. But they were very, very much into the star. Sh- a star-studded kind of aspect of the record, as opposed to the heart and the integrity of it. Uh, and, and, and going back to self-destruction, two of those, two, two of the MCs that you worked with on self-destruction, Karis One and Chuck D, you also worked with on uh, your 1991 album, Funky Funky Wisdom, uh, in the Rise and Shine. Of another man who knows his role as a father, he bothers to give his son his soul to pass it on to never float. Look, Papa, don't raise no punks. Got to make it known in the pass it down. So, can you just tell the audience what that what, what was it like in the studio when you guys were recording that song? First of all, I, well, I waited because we weren't all of there together. Uh, Chuck D came by at probably like midnight, and KRS came by at like two in the morning uh, and and put their verses down. And I basically wanted to do that because I've always felt that, especially when you have that level of consciousness, KRS-One, is conscious mind is incredible. Chuck D goes without saying. And uh, I used to call it the Leo connection because all of us are Leos. And I said, you know, if we can put this energy out, you know, you touch on each of the audiences because I had more of a kind of older R&B hip-hop audience KRS absolutely had the streets, and Chuck D had all of the hip-hop art audience from, I mean, he crossed lines from white to black, political realms. He, he just crossed in places that hip-hop wasn't really going or trekking based on what his energy and what Public Enemy represented. And I thought that putting the three of us together was a great way to maximize the market uh, while maximizing and matching a certain level of consciousness. So... Uh, and again, I, I, you know, it's still something I would do to this day, uh, comfortably, is uh, work with KRS and, and Chuck D. And a couple. Of the, I actually want to go back to uh, the first question. One of the first questions I asked you about battling. Is there an MC today that you would like to have a battle with? Uh, not particularly. Okay. Nothing. I mean, just because for me, the battle has to be about something. It. I never. And this is the biggest, most remiss part of the equation, again, that Unsung didn't put in. I never looked at battle as fun. Mm. Like, I don't see it as fun. I I take it extremely seriously, and because I'm battling either about something, which is why I didn't feel good after the Busy Bee battle, because it wasn't about anything. It was just ego. The LL thing, it was really about this kind of uh, lyrical content can't be co-signed. You know, you're just a worker boy, you're pushing a broom, and, you know, your boss is my man, and I'm only 18, making more to your pops. So it was more about that than anything else. And everybody chimed in on what they thought it was about and what their opinion was. And uh, even Curtis Blow at one point said, oh, Moji's being an opportunist because LL's hot and he's just trying to get his name. Like everybody had a, a spin on it 
that had nothing to do with what I had anything that was driving and driven in me. And it's easy to be cynical, you know. It's almost like when you hear an NBA player says, oh, it wasn't about the money. Everybody's like, sure, <laughs> yeah, it's right. always about the money. <laughs> because no one ever believes that anybody has any heart. Everybody believes that everybody's materialistic. Everybody believes that everybody's going for the money or everybody believes that everybody wants to shine or they want the popularity. So no one believes that there's ever any integrity in it. So it's amazing that, and that's, that's why I wasn't really surprised. I said, no matter how many interviews I do, and I tell the stories like, yeah, yeah, right. You were just jealous because, or you didn't like it because, or you, your ego is this way. And that, so they, they're telling you a story for you, even though they ask you the question. It, it's like asking you a question but already having their answer made up, and it's almost like you're validating their answer as opposed to them actually getting your answer. It, it also seems like a, I mean a good free. I feel like a good battle. What I mean, the one thing, well, one of the things of many things a good battle does, it actually kind of highlights the the wordplay, the kind of the the creativity, um, just of the MC himself. Um, right. I, like I, I feel like that would just listening to it, not like who, not not picking a side like who you know did Ella win and Mo, you know did Mo win whatever. It just as a as a fan, it's just listening to. Wow, he—I mean, he did just what? What did he just say? Like he did that? That's pretty. How do you bend those two words together? Stuff like that. So, just as a fan, I think it's more for me. It's more about kind of yeah, like I said, like the wordplay and kind of the the technique behind the uh, the battle, I guess. For me, like I said, it's it's. I have to either not like you or not like something you say or not like something you're about, um, and then I have to really, really want to do that based on that because there's tons of records I didn't like or tons of lines and stuff that I've heard over the years that I might not have liked or whatever, but I had nothing against those artists. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part that has always driven me crazy, to be cast as, or typecast as, I should say, as the, the battle MC and, you know, for the reasons that hip-hop thinks battle is about, or the way they tell you hip-hop's battle, battle is about, and that's not my perspective whatsoever. No, like, like I said, again, battle just isn't fun for me. To download the full interview, go to my podcast on iTunes. Yeah. It's called The Library with Tim Einenkel. That's E-I-N-E-N-K-E-L. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at Kosher22. We'll continue this conversation next week on And You Don't Stop with Chuck D. This is Tim Einenkel with The Library. Watch your daughter, your mother, and your sisters, aunts, nieces, and your wife sort of know. Ain't nobody safe when I'm in the place. I'm dropping more bass when face to face. Erase hates with the taste of a steady pace. Ain't no time to waste, and it ain't no race. You state your case and work your ways without a trace. And just wait for double black to double back and make that move. Break it to you, I'ma do you. Now ain't that cool enough to take your plus? I ain't just here to bust so you.
It's not religion, it's just how you live in. I'm righteously cool while here and hereafter. I'm so cool that I have to ask you how cool. Cool. 